Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading with verse 9. Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he continues in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer in the sense that it is the Lord teaching us to pray. Um, there are elements, or at least one that we've reached, that Jesus himself could not pray. So in that sense, it is not the Lord's Prayer, because he has never sinned, and he had no need to ever ask for forgiveness. But he did teach us that. And in the first half of verse 12, we looked at how that applies to us and drew out some principles from this line and forgive us our debts. And just to refresh your memory, those three that I gave you, number one was this, in Christ you are completely forgiven. If you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven, you are clean, you are free. Amen? That's who you are in Christ. But number two, that second principle was this, is that God has always required confession and repentance of sin from His people. And we looked at how He did that even in the Old Testament, back in Second Chronicles, as the temple had been built. God said that if you turn away from me and you start experiencing judgment, there's a break in our fellowship. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal their land. And God has always required that His people confess their sins, not because... Uh, it's our way of maintaining our relationship with God because in Him we are already forgiven. But that brought us to our third principle, that confession of sin allows us to maintain fellowship with God. And we talked a little bit about our own relationship with our children. That no matter what they do, whether good or bad, there's nothing that your child can do that will break the relationship that you have to them. They are your child. You are their father or their mother. And whatever they do does not change that. But disobedience, rebellion, that's not dealt with, does hinder fellowship, doesn't it? It can strain the, the fellowship between a father and a son, a mother and a son, or with a daughter. And so God invites us as His children to confess our sins. Not as something to be dreaded where He's going to beat us up for it and, and really just give us down the road because we messed up. No, He invites us to confess our sin because when we acknowledge our sin to God, when we see our sin the way He sees our sin, we have opportunity to maintain and strengthen the fellowship, the communion, the nearness to God in our lives. So had, had time permitted us last week, we could have added a fourth 
principle, and that would have been this, that your level of fellowship with God is related to your willingness to forgive others. But since we didn't make it a, a single principle last week, it gets a whole sermon this week. You're welcome. Uh, that comes from verse 12b. Verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or, as some of your translations say, as we have forgiven our debtors. See, when we as Christians come to God, confessing our sin, seeking nearness and a renewal of our fellowship with Him, which should be the norm, we should be doing that regularly, His response to us matches our willingness to reconcile with those who have sinned against us. That should carry a lot of weight with you when you hear that. Lord, forgive us of our sins just as, or to the degree that we, have forgiven those who have sinned against us. We talked last week about that word debts, and he's not talking about a necessarily, you know, you loaned money to somebody and they haven't paid you back. No, we're talking about a moral debt, a moral obligation to someone in that we have sinned against God. He created us in his image. He has rights to us. We owe him allegiance. We owe him obedience, and we have not given it to him. We have loved ourselves and not loved him as we ought. So we owe him a debt. And in the same way, we, sort of, we owe each other a debt, a moral debt in the sense that we should treat each other as we desire to be treated. And as God has commanded us to treat one another. Now, how many of you have been offended by someone just this week? It's okay. <laughs> how many of you have been offended by someone this morning? It's Sunday morning. I know how the drive to church goes sometimes, okay? We, we, we got that. We're all on the same page here. But our, our relationship to God is related to and is directly affected by our willingness to forgive the sins of others against us. And he poses this down in verse 14 and 15 in a couple of ways. One as a promise and one way as a threat. He poses it as a promise and as a threat. The promise is in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Well, that's encouraging if you're not mad at anyone. That's encouraging if, you're, if your uh, accounts are settled. Now, of course, this isn't the only condition of God forgiving us. You know, in order for, God to, to, for us to maintain fellowship with God and for God to forgive us, we have to come and confess our sins. We have to repent. We have to have faith in Christ. But a Christian who is quick to forgive, a Christian who is willing to forgive others, can be assured that your own confession, your own repentance, will be met with forgiveness and restoration from God. If you have people who sin against you, which you do all the time, if you are quick to forgive, if you are willing to let those things go and to release them from that debt, then that removes that barrier when you come to God to confess your own sins. So that's a promise. That's encouraging. But Jesus turns it around and says it another way that really comes across as a threat in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses... 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let me read that again. Listen, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's heavy. So, on the one hand, if we do forgive, there's no hindrance to us being forgiven. But on the other hand, if you're a Christian who's harboring bitterness, if you're unwilling to forgive someone who has sinned against you, then there's a barrier between you and God. There's a hindrance in your relationship. You cannot enjoy fellowship with God. You cannot have joy as a Christian. You cannot enjoy communion with your Lord. Because when you come to Him, His reconciliation with you will match your willingness to reconcile with others. And if you've been unwilling, then when you come to God to confess your sins... This might be hard to swallow, but Jesus is pretty clear. The Father will be unwilling to restore fellowship with you. Now, I don't need that. I've got enough problems on my own without having a barrier between me and God. I've got enough issues besides the fact that there might be something in me that could keep me at any moment from coming to my Lord. I need Him. You need Him. You can't afford to not forgive those who sin against you. Because you need that closeness with the Lord. Now, I just want to make a note of this. This is not, I believe, a reference to your salvation. Because what are the conditions for salvation? That you do good works and reconcile with all of your neighbors? That you... No, of course. We believe that salvation is a gift of God's grace alone that's received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And I say alone so that we don't tack anything else onto it. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. It's not of any good works that we could do to receive it. However, if you persist in unforgiveness, if you persist in holding on to a grudge or even plotting revenge if it gets that far, you are persisting in sin. And persisting in sin is dangerous territory because if you persist in sin of any kind, but specifically today we're talking about bitterness and unforgiveness, if you're persisting in that sin, it just might be because you have never experienced God's forgiveness for yourself. It's hard to give something you've never experienced and received yourself. And undoubtedly that's the case for some. It might be that the reason you can't let go of the offenses of others, the reason you can't let go of bitterness, the reason you can't forgive others is because you don't know what it's like to truly be unconditionally forgiven. And that would mean you're not a Christian. But if you are a Christian and you have not yet forgiven those who have sinned against you, it's likely that you're not very settled in your faith right now. And I would say most of us at some point have been there. If you're really a Christian, you can't stay there for too long because it's miserable. 
If you have at one time enjoyed fellowship with God, you've experienced His grace, His love, His forgiveness, you've been near Him, and then you harbor some kind of sin that that strains that relationship, strains that fellowship, that's a miserable state to be in. And if you're a Christian, you want to do everything you can to get back into fellowship with God. You want to get back to that place of restoration. Refusing to forgive gives the devil opportunity in your life to accuse you. It gives him an opportunity to have a hold in your life. It may lead you to a lack of assurance of your salvation in Christ. Now, I don't believe this is the only reason it's followed by this, but I think there has to be at least some connection to the fact that verse 13 is, follows and says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, it may be that there's some kind of deliverance that you need, some kind of hold the devil has in your life, and the hold up on it is the fact that you haven't been willing to forgive. Some struggle, some strain in your relationship, your walk with the Lord might be due to the fact that you're harboring some bitterness and have been unwilling to forgive your brother or your sister. And it can go as far as causing you to even doubt your salvation. You struggle with that because you aren't living where God wants you as his child. Matthew Henry said it this way. He said, he that relents toward his brother thereby shows that he repents toward his God. He that relents toward his brother thereby shows that he repents toward his God. A Christian who is able to show forgiveness and love and grace and mercy is demonstrating that he has himself experienced love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. John said it this way, 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. If you claim to love God, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you refuse to show that same love toward your brother or sister, if you refuse to show the same forgiveness you've received, John says, you're a liar. Because if you love God, you must love your brother and sister. Jesus illustrated this teaching with a parable. Go ahead and turn to Matthew 18 and we'll spend the rest of our time there. Matthew 18. Jesus has taught up to this point about dealing with a sinning brother and how if someone sins against you, you should go to them. And that's a good thing to remember. When someone sins against you, don't go and tell it to everybody else. If someone sins against you, you go to that person and confront them with that offense. And if they hear you and they confess that sin, guess what? You've gained a brother. You've gained a sister. Praise God that restoration has happened. But he says if they won't, then you go get 
one or two others, so that on the, the basis of two or three witnesses, a, a matter may be established. And if a person still won't confess their sin, then he says, bring it before the church. And if they won't hear the church, then let them be like a heathen and a tax collector. That person has shown that they have no concern about restoring relationships. They obviously have some kind of strain with their relationship with God if they have a relationship with God at all. But then verse 21 in Matthew 18, Peter comes along and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many of you have had that kind of relationship where you say, how many more times are we going to go through this? How many times do I have to forgive this person and let this go before they stop and before I can walk away? So Peter says, up to seven times. I mean, that seems generous. Peter probably thought, you know, Jesus might be impressed with my generosity here, my willingness to forgive. I'm going to let this guy off the hook seven times. But how did Jesus answer? Jesus answered, verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven times. Now, you could take that a couple of ways. You can say that that means 77, or some say 70 times 7. Well, that's 490. That's a lot of times to forgive somebody. Um, my principal, I went to Christian school, and our principal taught Bible class uh, every morning of the week. And uh, he used to say, some of you guys are on 489 right now. You are at the limit. You are at the edge. One more, and I don't have to deal with you anymore. Uh, and maybe you feel that way about some people. They've, they've committed the same offense over and over and over again. And let's just be honest. My wife probably feels this more than anybody else because we get in those ruts, right? Where we do the same dumb things over and over and over again. And you can think about that in your own relationships. What's Jesus' point, though? It's his point that you keep a tally. And when you hit 77, you say, you know what? I can move on now. Or when you hit 490, you know what? I can move on now. The point is, you keep forgiving till you lose count, and then you forgive some more. So he told a story. Verse 23 says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we don't count money this way, so I just want to be clear. That's a ridiculous amount of money. One talent was something like 6,000 days wages. One talent. So 10,000 talents is 10,000 times 6,000 days wages. You do the math. There is no possible way anybody could ever actually work up this kind of debt. Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's making a point. This is a ridiculous debt, something this guy could never, ever, ever pay in multiple lifetimes as a servant. He could never make this money back up to this king. Verse 24 says, But as he was not able to pay, no kidding, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment be made. 
The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now this guy's just taking a shot at whatever he can get. Because there's no way he could ever pay this back. So he's pleading for mercy. Be patient with me. Give me a little more time. Because he's about to lose everything. But verse 27 says, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That's an enormous debt. Most of us have experienced some measure of debt. If nothing else, you get a house payment in the mail, and that thing just depresses you. You get to the point where you don't even open it anymore. You just send the payment, set up automatic draft, and don't even look at it because you look at what goes to interest and what actually goes towards your principal, and you could just go crawl in the bed, right? Are we there together? Anybody besides me? Okay. Debt is a terrible thing. It's a depressing thing, and it can be a life-crippling thing. And this man was already a servant and owed a debt that he never in multiple lifetimes could ever pay. And this king comes along and sees him pleading for mercy and has compassion on him. And totally, completely, freely releases him of that debt. Now, if you're a Christian, what should that make you think about? Your own relationship to God, right? You owe him that debt. It's a debt you can never pay. If he gives you what you deserve, you get hell. Eternal conscious torment in a lake of fire because that's what you've earned for yourself. Your wages for your sin is death. Eternal death. And no amount of good you could ever do in multiple lifetimes could ever free you from that debt. You could never dig yourself out of that pit. You could never work your way back into fellowship with God. But when we come to Him for mercy, we cry out to Him in our helpless state and we say, God, there's nothing we can do about our condition. There is nothing I can do to settle this account with my sin. Just give me mercy. What does God do? Through Jesus who died for us, He completely, freely, generously releases us of that debt and we are free in Christ. He forgives us. Now, if you own oh, 10,000 talents of debt and it's gone, it's free, you owe nothing, what's your response? Joy. Praise God. How much more your sin? Can I give you a hint? Your sin was worth way more than 10,000 talents of silver. The debt that God released you from when He forgave your sins in Christ was way more valuable than any amount of money on the earth. And as much as this servant should have responded with joy and gratitude, so we all the more say praise God and live a life of joy and gratitude to Him for what He's given us. But then the next verse comes along, verse 28. 
But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, about three months' wage. How should he have responded? Hey, pal. Yeah, thank you. That's good. You know, this king just released me from this enormous debt. I have my life back. I've got my wife. I've got my kids. He's given me life. He's given me such a gift. You know what? You owe me that three-month wage. Don't, don't worry about it, man. You're good. We're, we're square. Just go give thanks to the king. He's really the one who's worthy of praise here. Don't thank me. That would have been the right way to respond. And in just the same way, so that we had, such as we have been forgiven in Christ, when somebody sins against us, who cares? They talked bad about you to somebody? Who cares? You don't have to go to hell. You get eternity with God. You have riches in Christ. You have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's with you always. Who cares that they said something ugly? That's how he should have responded. But verse 28 says that he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. That sounds familiar. This guy was just in that position, except worse. But he didn't come and have compassion. Verse 30 says, he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father, Jesus says, also will do to each of you if you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Friends, if you've been born again, you have been forgiven so much. What right have you to withhold forgiveness from another sinful human being like you? If you're a Christian and you're unwilling to forgive, it's simply because you've forgotten how much you've been forgiven. You've forgotten. Paul told the Ephesians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave 
you. He told the Colossians the same thing. He said, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You have been forgiven so much. You must, in turn, forgive others. And if you don't, it will hinder your relationship with God. It will hinder your fellowship. Your prayers will be ineffective if you hold a grudge against a brother or sister. An unforgiving Christian ought to be an oxymoron. It ought never be that there be a Christian who's unwilling to forgive. Here's what some of you need to do. You need to get a sheet of paper. And you need to sit down alone, uninterrupted, and ask God to bring to your mind anyone who has sinned against you whom you have not forgiven. And then you just need to sit quietly. And whatever names pop in your head, you jot them down. And after you've made your list, go out and write it down, what they did. Go ahead, express it, put it on paper. Just out beside their name. They said this to my friend. Or I invited them to this and they didn't show up after I went to their thing. You know what I mean? Just anything that comes to your mind. Write it down. Express your pain to God. Tell Him how that person hurt you. And then, with the help of God's grace, declare them forgiven. I don't cheat and beat around the bush and say, Lord, I hope you'll help me forgive this person or I'll try to forgive this person. No, you say, God, by your grace, I forgive them. I release them from this prison that's in my mind. I release them of this debt. I choose to live with the consequences of their sin against me because you've forgiven me. And you know what you do after that? You destroy the list. You get rid of it, burn it, shred it, whatever you want to do. And you praise God for the forgiveness that he's given you. So who has God brought to your mind that you need to forgive right now? Maybe you don't need to wait till you get home with a list. There's probably, at least for some of you, somebody who stands out in your mind right now, a strain in a relationship that you have right now, and you need to extend forgiveness. You might need to go have a conversation with that person, but you might not. They may not know you're harboring bitterness against them. And in that case, you just need to settle it between you and the Lord. Bow your head right now, please. And if it is that someone here has never experienced the forgiveness of Christ, if you've never become a Christian, you've never been born again, that's what you need right now. You need to confess your sin to God and repent, forsake it, and beg Him for mercy. And He is a compassionate King who will forgive. He's promised that He will because of His Son, Jesus, who died for you. But if you're a Christian, and right now the Lord's brought someone to your mind, 
that you're holding something against, right now where you sit, forgive them. And be reconciled to God. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you give us opportunities to be reconciled to one another and to you. So, Lord, if we have come to worship this morning and we remember that someone has something against us. Or we have something against someone else. Lord, before we can worship you, before we can be right with you, Lord, we have to make things right with them. So, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that the people who hear me right now, if they're harboring bitterness, if they've been unwilling to forgive, that your spirit would enable them to forgive. To release that person from that prison in their mind. And I pray that we would be reconciled to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.